0: Advertising your business with GCN is simple, effective, and
1: more affordable than you might think.
0: Visit advertise.gcnlive.com for more info. Take your business to the next level.
2: Black Holes. The Cosmos. Space and time travel science and technology brought to you by theoretical physicist futurist popularizer of science and world-renowned author professor michio kaku At gcn this is science fantastic
3: Welcome back to Science Fantastic with Professor Michio Kaku. Every week on Science Fantastic, we explore the cutting edge of science. Science that changes your life. Science that touches all of us. And science that changes our view of the universe itself. And if you want to get on Science Fantastic, then why don't you give us a call? Write this number down. 612 564 Eight one three five once again that's six one two five six four eight one three five all you have to do is call that number you'll get a recording, leave your comment or question on the tape and of course mention your name, the frequency of the radio station or the website you're listening to, and the uh, the city you're calling from and bingo. Maybe you can get on science. Fantastic. And just remember that no question is, quote, too dumb or too stupid to put on air. Sometimes the dumbest questions are the most profound questions of all. As I mentioned, years ago, there was a young 16-year-old boy who asked himself a stupid question. Can you outrace a light beam? Such a stupid question. Well, it took him 10 years from the age of 16 to the age of 26 when he finally figured it out that no, you cannot outrace a light beam. Light is in fact traveling at the ultimate velocity of the universe. And who was that 16-year-old boy? Albert Einstein. So just remember that there's no question too dumb to put on the air. And you may want to get a copy of some of my latest books. I've written five New York Times bestsellers, and I'm coming out with a new book in just a few months, so watch for it at your neighborhood bookstore. For example, I've written the book Physics of the Impossible, talking about the physics of ray guns and force fields and starships and all the stuff you see in the movies and television programs. I've written Physics of the Future, talking about the future of artificial intelligence. What will a day in the future look like? I wrote the book, The Future of the Mind, talking about how we physicists are using probes to begin to decipher the thinking process. We can now record dreams. Think about that for a moment. That's how fast science is progressing as we begin to merge the brain with a computer. In Future of the Humanity, I talk about the future of the space program. How long will it be before we colonize the moon? Mars, and even beyond. Perhaps the asteroid belt, exoplanets, and who knows beyond that. And my latest New York Times bestseller is called The God Equation. The quest for a theory of everything. And this is what I do for a living. This is why I'm on the payroll of New York City. At the City University of New York, we have a group working on string theory, which says that all the atoms we see in nature... Are nothing but vibrations on a tiny, tiny string. So, what is physics? Physics is nothing but the harmonies that you can create on these vibrating strings. What is chemistry? Chemistry is the melodies you can play on these strings when they collide with each other. What is the universe? The universe is a symphony of strings. And then, what is the mind of God? that Albert Einstein spent the last 30 years of his life writing about, well, the mind of God would be cosmic music resonating through 11-dimensional hyperspace. Find out more about that by getting a copy of my latest New York Times bestseller, The God Equation. Well, believe it or not, I have a new book coming out. In just a few more months, watch for it at your neighborhood bookstore. It's called Quantum Supremacy. Our quantum computers will change everything. I mean, everything. We know that the computer has already changed everything. Our lives would be impossible. Modern technology would be impossible without the computer. But eventually, the power of the computer, the digital computer, will turn to dust. And why is that? Well, computer power doubles every 18 months. So every Christmas... Your Christmas presents are usually twice as powerful as last year's electronic Christmas presents. But that cannot last forever. Sooner or later, the transistor becomes as small as an atom, the ultimate limit. At that point, Silicon Valley becomes a rust belt. You know, when you go through the rust belt... You see a monument to the tremendous progress that we made a hundred years ago in the Industrial Revolution. But those days are long gone. Same thing with digital computers. When a transistor becomes as small as an atom, it's all over for the digital computer. Silicon Valley could become a rust belt. We have to go to the next generation of computers beyond digital computers. What are they? Quantum computers. Computers that compute on atoms. Think about that for a moment. Using the atom itself as a way to perform calculations. How fast are they? Potentially millions. Millions of times more powerful. Faster than an ordinary digital computer. You know, when we pick up an abacus at an antique store, you realize that the abacus was cutting edge a few thousand years ago in Asia, but today we find it in antique stores. Well, in the future, you may see Apple and Google and the other kinds of digital hardware in an antique store. The digital computer of today will be looked at like the abacus of old. In other words, we're talking about a new generation of computers, quantum computers, that could change everything. Now, what do we do with it? Well, in the short term, once we have them up and running, the CIA and the FBI are very much interested in this because they are so powerful. Digital computers can break any code. Think about that. Codes are done in digital, but quantum computers don't compute on digital, they compute on atoms quantum computers. Therefore, they can break any code. So who's worrying about this? The CIA, the FBI. In fact, all the intelligence agencies on the earth are desperately trying to master and understand when this may take place. That is, computers so powerful, they can break into any other computer network. But what about the consumer? What's in it for me? Well, what's in it for me is that this new generation of computers will be able to mimic chemical reactions that are impossible to mimic using a digital computer. Digital computers cannot model atoms. But atoms is what the universe is made of. We are made out of atoms and molecules. But unfortunately, digital computers cannot model individual atoms, it's too complicated. Atoms are made out of waves, and these waves are too complicated to simulate with a computer. But this is where quantum computers come in. Think about it. A new industrial revolution. A quantum revolution. For example, think it was, a question was made about global warming. Think about that. We'll be able to create a super battery, a super battery that can energize Our facilities around the world without producing carbon dioxide emissions, a new generation of energy, not to mention fusion plants. One of the reasons why we don't have fusion is because it's too complicated to model the compression of hydrogen gas. Well, that's where com- quantum computers are being used now. The first generation of quantum computers are already being used in order to streamline the fusion process, which will one day give us energy for the planet Earth. In other words, what will quantum computers do? Everything. Well, let's take a short commercial break, and after the break, we're going to continue with science. Fantastic. Give us a call.
7: 8772799422 Brought
2: to you by Professor Michio Kaku This is Science
3: Fantastic. Welcome back to Science Fantastic with Professor Michio Kaku. The lines are open, so let's move on now and take the next listener phone call, because this program is for you. For you to call 612-564-8135. Leave your name call it at the radio station or the website you're listening to and the city you're calling from and you can be part of Science Fantastic. So let's take the next listener phone call.
7: Hi, my name is John. I listen to KRMS at Osage Beach. And my question is this. You see, as a, as a Christian, um, I'm a creationist. However, I find that the theory of evolution is very compelling. But uh i find that uh we don't see it today i know it takes time but i think of dogs we've been breeding dogs for thousands upon thousands of years i know they came from wolves but i believe they can still breed with dogs but i mean we made them long haired short haired short leg long leg curly tail straight tail and whatnot and uh uh if they can ever breed dogs into another creature, like a cat or something, then I'd be impressed. I was wondering what your thoughts on that. i also wondering about uh, in the laboratory, say, with maybe fruit flies or something, have you bred them through so many generations that they are no longer fruit flies, that they can't breed with the original
3: fruit flies? I'd appreciate your thoughts on this. Thank you. Well, you raise a host of different kinds of concepts, so let's take them one at a time. First of all, a lot of evolutionary biologists are Christians. They don't see any big difference. They don't see any contradiction between believing in evolution and believing in a deity. Okay, they just would assume, therefore, that the deity created beings, organisms on the planet Earth that obey the laws of evolution. So they don't see any basic contradiction between the two. However, the contradiction may arise if you think that the deity created everything, including the laws of natural selection. Now, you mentioned the dog. It turns out that if you take the DNA of the dog, and you know more or less the rate at which DNA mutates, you can calculate that dogs separated from wolves roughly 10,000 years ago. 10,000 years ago, we had the end of the Ice Age, and that's when humans apparently uh, took some pups, raised them as their own, and these pups then bonded with humans to become the dogs of today. And so, in other words, all the variety of dogs you see, big dogs, little ones, hunting dogs, uh, dogs that you see in, in any pet shop, are DNA related to the gray wolf, okay? And then you say, well, can we breed a dog into a cat? Well, that will take, of course, even more time. But in principle, there's no reason why it can't be done, except it would take more time because what we're doing is we're going backwards in time 10,000 years. To go backwards in time when uh, kittens and kittens and puppies uh, were part of the same genetic line, you would have to go back even farther than that. And that would take even more time to genetically engineer the ancient dog. And lastly, you mentioned the fruit fly. And again, if you take a look at the DNA, we know the percent of difference there are between two organisms. We know the rate, the rate at which DNA mutates. And bingo, we can then calculate more or less when the separation took place. And so a lot of the animals we see around us, like varieties of dog, we can trace back 10,000 years. But to go back farther than that, like to go between between a cat and a dog, you would have to go even farther than that, which would take even more amount of time if you want to clone a dog to eventually create a cat. Could it be done? Yes. It would just take a lot of time. Okay, well, let's go on and take the next listener phone call. Hi, my name
7: is Kat. I'm from Alaska. Um, I'm driving through a snowstorm right now, and I was just thinking about um, climate change, and I was wondering, do you think it's possible to recover from climate change and what that would look like um, as far as making the changes to recover from climate change? Thank you. I just started watching your show tonight, and it's amazing, so... Awesome. Thank you so much.
3: Bye. Well, you ask a very embarrassing question. Uh, we would all like to believe that we can suddenly snap our fingers and reverse the damage. But we are talking about the fact that the weather involves the entire planet Earth with all the vegetation, life forms, the clouds, the thunderstorms. That's an enormous body of matter. And at the present time, we simply don't have the muscle and the economic strength to simply snap our fingers and reverse that whole process. However, there are incremental ways that we may be able to exploit. It was mentioned recently that scientists in California have harnessed the power of fusion for the first time. It'll take, of course, another decade or so before it's commercialized, but the proof of principle has now been demonstrated. We can, in fact, reach break-even, that is, create more energy than you put into a fusion reactor, and fusion reactors have lots of advantages over oil plants and even fission uranium plants. First of all, they produce no nuclear waste. The only waste that a fusion reactor produces is helium gas, which is actually commercially valuable, and perhaps a little bit of radioactive steel. Plus, they don't melt down. Of course, fission plants melt down. We saw that in Fukushima. We saw that in Chernobyl. We saw that in Three Mile Island. But fusion plants simply shut down if the fusion reactor gets out of control. So you're not going to have catastrophic explosions and the dispersal of radioactive materials. Plus the fact, what's the basic ingredient of fusion plants? Seawater. Hydrogen from seawater. If you extract the hydrogen from seawater, you can then heat that hydrogen to tens of millions of degrees, hotter than the sun, and sustain a fusion process. So what's the problem? The problem is stability. To stabilize the fusion process long enough so that fusion takes place, that's why we don't have commercial fusion But the fact that we have fusion at all was demonstrated recently in California. The next step is to begin the process of commercializing it. The next step will be probably in Europe at the ITER thermonuclear fusion reactor in southern France. The Europeans hope to be the first nation uh, with funding from the United States and many other countries to create break-even in what is called a tokamak design, by heating up hydrogen gas. Now, in addition to this, there are other ways of of being able to rein in global warming. Once we have quantum computers, we'll be able to mimic chemical reactions in the memory of a computer, and then we'll be able to create a super battery. A super battery. Why don't we have the solar rage right now? We don't have the solar rage because there's a weak link in the solar cycle. We don't think about it but it's the battery. When the sun doesn't shine and the winds don't blow, we got a problem. And that's where batteries come in, but batteries are very inefficient. We need a super battery. And the way to do that is with quantum computers. And the way to do that is to get a copy of my next book, which talks about quantum computers. So global warming is gonna be one of the great challenges of the future. Is it possible that we can have a vibrant, productive economy, feed the poor, lift people out of poverty, create and unleash the initiative of people around the world? Can we do that without messing up the environment? That's going to be the big challenge for the future. Okay, well, as we said before, we're going to talk about some of the things that we've been talking about in Science Fantastic, including quantum computers and what you can do with them. We mentioned the fact that quantum computers can mimic chemical reactions. Now think about that for a moment. Digital computers cannot reproduce a chemical reaction. A simple reaction like H2O combining H, hydrogen, with O, oxygen, to create energy and water. Such a simple process cannot be modeled using digital computers. Digital computers compute on zeros and ones, zeros and ones, but atoms are like waves. Electrons are quantum waves, waves of probability. And the mathematics is way beyond that of ordinary digital computers. So we'll see more about this after the break. Once again, you are listening to Science Fantastic. Give us a call. The hotline number is 612-564-8135. news
5: update the house passed legislation extending government funding into march
3: a step that ensures federal workers will remain on the job but does nothing but does nothing about high debt levels crossings at the southern border and the war in ukraine concerns about a wider conflict growing as the war between israel and hamas
5: continues pakistan now has carried out strikes in iran More snow in store for more than 100 million Americans this weekend. Back-to-back storms spreading at least three inches of snow across some 18 states. The amount of U.S. Capitol Police threat assessment cases are up heading into an election year. Last year, over 8,000 cases, but that number is likely to go up. Ford is cutting production of the F-150 Lightning electric pickup after weaker-than-expected sales. Corey Myers, USA News.
8: Gcnfood.com.
0: People often write to tell us what has happened for them since starting Extendivite. Allow me to read a few highlights. Extendivite works in keeping my blood pressure in the normal range. I have been using Extendivite for many years. Great product. I use regularly and I rarely get sick. This product has relieved what appeared to be angina pain in my chest and shortness of breath after climbing stairs. I'm quite happy about it. My husband, son, and I have been using this product for a few months now, and we have noticed an improvement in our joints and blood pressure. To order, call 1-877-928-8822 or visit Extendivite.com. That's X-T-E-N-D-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Extend your life
7: with ExtendoVite.
6: Hi, I'm Dr. Joel Wallach, the dead doctors don't lie guy. There's no reason why you shouldn't live to be at least 100 and have a great time getting there
2: Science
3: Fantastic. Welcome back to Science Fantastic with Professor Michio Kaku. In this hour, we're going to take questions from the audience. That's right. Instead of reading them one at a time, we're going to put them in bunches and address some of the concepts that you email me about. And again, if you want to get on Science Fantastic directly, give us a call at 612-564-8135. Okay, well, we've been getting a lot of questions about UFOs and balloons. In other words, the United States uh, currently has uh, been a, on record as shooting down four balloons, we think, things that resemble balloons anyway, from the sky. And some people are saying, what does that mean? I mean, these UFOs, what have happen- Are we shooting down flying saucers in space? Or one day will we come up against an intelligent race of of flying saucers and shoot them down? Or are we trigger happy? Well, let's back up a bit. First of all, the United States ignored this possibility of encountering these objects for many a decade. We had the capability with our NORAD system, but it was simply considered useless to monitor these objects. These objects were probably weather balloons, toys, what have you, simply not worth, not worth surveilling. So that was one extreme. Then, of course, one balloon sailed over Alaska, Canada, and the United States, and then all hell broke loose politically. And at that point, we switched gears. And instead of ignoring the crisis, we shot him down. In fact, four of them at last count have been shot down. And some people say, are we flipping the other way? One day, we're talking as if these things didn't exist at all. Next day, we're shooting them down. And one day, what happens if one of these objects happens to be a real flying saucer from an extraterrestrial civilization? Won't that be a little dangerous? Well, let's be clear about this. It's probably true that a lot of the stuff that we now see that we didn't recognize before, a lot of them are probably weather balloons, A lot of them are probably research balloons, or maybe even toys, recreational toys. Who knows? Probably a lot of them are nothing but fluff that the the military deliberately neglected for many decades, but now, of course, is front and center with regards to Chinese-U.S. relations. But even though the bulk of these things are probably natural objects that are in our atmosphere, even though a lot of them are artificial, who knows what they are, they're not dangerous. Even though the bulk of them are like that, you cannot discount the fact that maybe one or two of them, or a handful of them, could be from another extraterrestrial civilization. Now, I'm not saying that they are. I'm just saying that I'm a scientist. Scientists need data. That's where truth Comes from. We have to have more data and shooting down the data from the sky is not the way to do it. Plus, the fact that a lot of the data that was in these devices that were shot down, they're not going to be recovered. The military has given up trying to recover the debris from these encounters, and that's going to create a whole new conspiracy theory. They're going to say, why did the military deliberately shoot things down and then not? go for the remnants of the crash. So I think that data is the key to the whole puzzle. We need more information. We should not be shooting these things down at, at at a moment's notice. And we need more data. It turns out that the data for the so-called weather balloons was already in the memory banks of the computers. We just didn't look for them. We could... But it was considered basically not essential to do so. Well, I think now the military has reversed directions totally and is now beginning the process of analyzing these objects. So I think there's a lesson here. And the lesson here is follow the data. Don't simply dismiss something because you have a prejudice ahead of time. No, keep an open mind. Realize that something that may be impossible is possible.
9: Yours free at mysolarbackup dot com.
2: Brought to you by Professor Michio Kaku. This is Science Fantastic.
3: Welcome back to Science Fantastic with Professor Michio Kaku. If you want to get out of the air, then all you have to do is pick up the phone and give us a call. The hotline number is 612-564-8135. Leave your name, call letters of the radio station or the website you're listening to and the city you're calling from, and maybe you can get on Science Fantastic. Well, where we last left off, we were talking about what I think was a fiasco involving first ignoring the possibility of objects that are unidentified in our atmosphere, ignoring them totally. And then once we see them, we shoot them down. (laughs) That's not the scientific way. You're flip-flopping because data will resolve the whole question. You can't simply assume ahead of time that these are or are not extraterrestrial. The data will decide for itself. Well, I get another series of questions, and that is that with all this modern technology that we have, with all the computers and what have you, have we made any progress with SETI, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence? Well, that's an interesting question. You see, SETI was conceived of, back in the 1950s, using radio. Radio to look for signals from alien civilizations in outer space. It was the astronomer Frank Drake who actually began the first search for intelligent signals embedded in radio waves that indicate the presence of intelligence. Well, now we're in the computer age. We think of radio as being rather old-fashioned and primitive. Why not use the full power of the computer revolution? And yes, we're now beginning to do that. One thing is to use artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence to look for signs of intelligent life in outer space. And there's several ways of doing that. First of all, if you record radio signals, what what does it sound like? Gibberish. Nonsense. But that's to the unaided ear. What happens if you run it through a computer? The computer can look for patterns. Patterns that are not so obvious. And then from these patterns, deduce the presence of artificial intelligence. Or for that matter, some people are saying, let's use our detection and sensor capability to look for unorthodox objects from outer space. For example, if an alien civilization were to come zipping through our solar system, maybe they're just like us. They leave Coke bottles and trash along the way, just like us. When we're on a camping trip, we leave all sorts of garbage in our wake. And if you were a squirrel, you would say, Aha, there's signs of intelligence here because we see Coke bottles in this campsite. So that's one way of doing it to look for the presence of intelligence by looking for waste products of intelligent beings that leave their garbage when they pass through our solar system. Well, that's one way, by looking for paleo-artifacts, ancient artifacts left over by ancient visitations of aliens through our solar system. But the other possibility is also intriguing, Getting this mass of computer signals and running it through a computer that is sensitive to artificial intelligence that can decode signals that appear like gibberish to the human ear. Maybe they, maybe the aliens use a different language. Or maybe their hidden language is embedded in the garbage that we hear and we totally miss the boat. That's a possibility. I had a lesson in this when uh, Science Channel... Uh, put me in a swimming pool with a bunch of dolphins. Dolphins are rather intelligent, and they use squeaks and and squirks in order to communicate with each other. And if you put a tape recorder in a swimming pool with dolphins, you can hear all these chirps and squeaks and squeals. And at first you say, well, there's no intelligence there, but then you run it through a computer, and then you find, yes, there is intelligence there. And How do you do that? By looking for patterns. For example, if you run the English language in a computer program, you realize that the letter E is the most common letter in the alphabet. So you know there's intelligence by scanning human signals because the letter E is the most common, and you can create a dictionary of how often certain letters appear in a transmission of the English language. Okay, well, let's take a short commercial break. And after the break, we're going to continue with Science Fantastic. And if you want to get on Science Fantastic, give us a call. The hotline is 612-564-8135. Leave your name, call letters of the radio station and the city you're calling from, and maybe you can get on Science Fantastic. Give us a call.
0: teamgrade.com teamgrade.com
2: This is Science Fantastic.
3: Welcome back to Science Fantastic with Professor Michio Kaku. In this hour, we're taking some of the questions that I get by email and trying to answer them bunch by bunch, rather than individually. Another large set of questions I get is about the aging process. Why do we have to die? Is it possible that science can give us the secret of immortality? Is it possible that within all this data that we've accumulated, there is a needle in the haystack that will give us the key to living Forever. Well, in the short term, we're not there yet, but in the long term, there are some intriguing possibilities. Uh, The first one is something called telomeres. If you look at a chromosome, a chromosome looks like a string and it has caps on the ends of the string. Every time the chromosome splits and divides, the cap gets shorter and shorter. Eventually, after about 60 reproductions, a skin cell gets so short that the telomeres basically dissolve and the cell dies. In fact, that's why skin cells die. They're programmed to die. They're programmed to die after about 60 reproductions. Well, you may say to yourself, if telomeres are like a clock, a clock that measures how long we can live, then can we stop the clock? And the answer is yes. It turns out that there is an enzyme called telomerase that can stop the action of the telomeres. So in other words, the telomeres are like a clock. They get shorter and shorter and shorter with every reproduction until they get so short that the cell doesn't function anymore and it goes into senescence and eventually it dies. But telomerase stops the clock. This is rather interesting. In fact, this body of information won the Nobel Prize recently. It was so dramatic that we can actually have a window in on the aging process. Now, does it sound too good to be true? Well, in some sense, yes. It turns out that with telomerase, we can stop the clock. That cells can divide not just 60 times, They can divide thousands of times. They are immortal. In fact, this has introduced a new word into the English language, to immortalize. That's a new word in the English language, to make something immortal. We can do that with telomerase by stopping the aging process of a clock. So what's the catch? There's always a catch someplace here, right? The catch is that that's what cancer cells do to kill you. Why do cancer cells kill you? Because they are immortal. Because they keep on dividing until they create a tumor. Tumor gets bigger and bigger until bodily functions cease and you die. So in other words, something that gives immortal life to a cancer cell is deadly business, unless you can control it. So some people are saying that that's one way to attain immortality if we can also cure cancer simultaneously. Now, there's a second way of doing it, and that's using antioxidants. And some people think that, well, if we take a look at a car, for example, where does aging take place in a car? Well, the engine. Why? That's where you have moving parts, and that's where you have combustion taking place, chemical reactions that degrade the efficiency of the the engine. So, where is the engine of a cell? That's where air is build up. Just like the engine is where air is build up. Where is the engine of a cell? The engine of a cell is the mitochondria. Bingo. We now know where most of the aging takes place. Combustion creates a disorder, waste, mistakes. Mistakes are aging. And so by fixing these mistakes one day, by being able to replace the DNA code, fix the code, of the mitochondria, we might be able to live forever. Third, there's a process called cell rejuvenation. I mean, think about it for a moment. When you're born, the sperm meets the egg, and an embryo is formed, and the embryo has a clean slate. We're starting all over again. All the mistakes, all the mistakes and errors that built up during your teenage years, during your 20s and 30s, and until you became an old person. All those mistakes eventually led to your death. But the sperm and the egg start fresh. This process is called genetic rejuvenation. And some people have thought to themselves, well, what happens if we can harness that? That we can then duplicate this process and literally become young again. Literally become young again. Well, that's gotten a lot of attention in Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley billionaires, no matter how rich they are, they know they will eventually die. They know that every time they look in a mirror. Every time they look in a mirror, they realize, hey, I'm mortal, just like the guy outside cleaning up the garbage. He's mortal I'm mortal too. And you can see that in the wrinkles in your mirror. And so Silicon Valley billionaires are now putting their money where their mouths are and beginning to look carefully at these kinds of therapies. Is it possible that one day we can stop the clock with telomeres? Is it possible that we can eliminate the wear and tear by using antioxidants like resveratrol? Is it possible that we can even reroute our genetic code and eliminate all the mistakes in the genetic code literally become young again is that possible? well the short answer is probably yeah but are we there yet? no (laughs) I don't want to get people's hopes up too much no we're not there yet it's a long sought goal to live forever to find the fountain of youth but let's be blunt about this we're not there yet now, if you go to a drugstore, however, you're told to to apply this cream and you can take 10 years off your skin. Well, yes and no. The only active ingredient in most of that stuff that you buy at the drugstore, I once asked a doctor about this, is the only active ingredient is moisturizer. A simple chemical reaction puffing up the skin with moisture, that is the basis of the only thing that works in a drugstore okay well that's it for science fantastic so once again give us a call at 612-564-8135 and maybe you can get on science fantastic
1: wellness and self-care doesn't have to be complicated